This episode of AVXL is re-recorded on January 16th, 2021. We're going to talk about all the CES TVs so far, a few laser projectors, a smattering of display technologies, and don't forget, email ask at avxl.com if you got a question for us. And a big thanks to everyone who supports the show. You pay for the show, you make it possible. Patreon.com slash AVXL. Testing one, two, three. All right. I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Welcome to AVXL, your guide to the best in home video and audio gear, no matter what your budget is. I'm Patrick Norton. And I am Robert Heron. We are re-recording this episode because I had a major hardware failure, which is going to lead to a total wipe and rebuild of my uh, production system. But that's boring. I want to talk about something that we talk about all the time on the show, which is, hey, Blu-rays, UHD Blu-rays, all too often, vastly better experience than streaming. Because we haven't said that enough in 2020. <laughs> I hope everyone can experience the beauty of a, even a Blu-ray disc, a 2K Blu-ray disc, or let alone a 4K UHD. Oh, HDR, Dolby Vision, Dolby Atmos. Although, as a good reminder... You do not need to have a 4K TV to appreciate some of these new audio formats. In fact, I'd say Ooh. the for a given stereo setup, you can enjoy these higher performance audio formats, lossless audio, be it Dolby Atmos to, you know, your favorite flavor of DTS to whatever. Right. The display has nothing to do with that. <laughs> I'll step slowly away from my long random rant, but I said it before. Getting out of the RV and the 42-inch, uh, you know, which oddly enough was a UHD TV, and getting into just having stereo speakers that were separate from the TV was a huge experience. Like, completely changed certain scenes in The Mandalorian because so much more of the audio was there. And then getting the entire surround sound and Atmos rig up, another order of magnitude of awesome. And yes, I realize when I say order of magnitude, I mean 10 times better. Nice. A lot of stuff going on at CES 2021. A lot of it we're going to talk about next week, which is some new sound bars, headphones, earbuds. A couple things to think about with our virtual CES experience this year. One is there was a lot of stuff that was announced last year that was being sort of reannounced at CES, I think in no small part because coverage of new products was so squirrely last year. Releases were delayed. Product wasn't available. And it's this weird mix, uh, you know, especially going into the, the tail end of 2020 of people releasing new stuff at the last minute, or in this case, in early 2021, you know, taking the opportunity to reintroduce products that came out uh, literally in some cases as early as March last year, maybe even earlier uh, in Good some point. product categories. Yeah. The other thing is 2020, there were 4,500 plus participants, uh, exhibitors at CES. In CS 2021, there were 1,900, so well under half. And a lot of the coverage was, I will say this affectionately, all over the map because TVs, what we're going to talk about today, all the TV vendors were out front and center on press day, <laughs> in some cases at 4 a.m. True. <laughs> Very true. Um, oh, I, I just had that flashback. <laughs> it was not done that. in Vegas time. It was done in New York time. <laughs> 
because I guess everybody wanted to be on the news on Monday morning, but we had vendors who were participating in secondary events that normally take place around CES. We had new events that nobody ever heard of before 2020 when people started creating virtual press events. We had companies that were working standalone to do their own announcements around CES, but not part of CES. And again, as I mentioned a couple minutes ago, there were a lot of products that we talked about two months, three months, six months, eight months ago that were being introduced as their exciting new product CES. So when I say CES 2021 was a hot mess, it was a hot mess. It was all over the map. That said, 2020 TVs are announced in freaking force. And I think if there was one overall theme, Robert will leave you with, it was HDMI 2.1 reaching maturity. Finally. Yeah, actually. <laughs> Indeed. Among the 2021 TV announcements, there were, like you said, main themes. HDMI 2.1 clearly has matured into something that's usable now. Every decent 4K TV out there is not only supporting that function, but in the premium levels or the mid to even premium levels for TVs now, features like eARC or variable refresh rate or auto low latency mode will be standard. And I'm seeing most of the manufacturers, at least again on their mid to premium level sets, incorporating the next gen ATSC 3.0 tuners. Also this year, AI was an even bigger part of the quote unquote viewing experience now. One thing I've seen all of the manufacturers touting is the fact that this year they've expanded their AI processing to go beyond just picture enhancements that typically were the feature last year. Vendors now are incorporating audio effects in addition to multi-speaker systems being built into some premium mm -hmm. models as well. Like we just talked about, having a separate sound system will always usually give you a better experience. But in terms of what they're doing with TVs nowadays, especially for 2021, it's going to be one of the best years ever in terms of sound quality. As far as the manufacturers yeah. themselves go, I'll just start with LG real quick and give you a couple of highlights from what they unveiled. They had mentioned that 48-inch bendable OLED about a couple weeks ago, prior to the show itself. And this will be a system that is aimed more at the gaming crowd in the sense that it is a curvable screen. At the flip of a switch, have it curve to give you the wraparound effect when you're sitting up nice and close, or have it lay flat if not. Will this incorporate any of their new technologies? We'll get into that in a bit. The only other interesting thing I saw on that 48-inch bendable OLED for gamers was the fact it was using <laughs> actuators as speakers. In a sense, doing something similar to what Sony introduced, and LG has demoed this type of technology before, but using actuators on that OLED surface to transform it into a speaker system, which is kind of neat. One thing yeah. that really got my eye was that LG announced a 31 and a half inch 4K Pro OLED monitor. I'm assuming this is not sourced directly from LG Display, but from Japan OLED or JOLED. According to the folks over at Flat Panels HD, the 32EP950, it is gonna feature 99% of DCI-P3 color with built-in KVM capabilities. Samsung also indicated that they have something similar on the back burner, so to speak, and it should be here by the second half of the year. <laughs> we'll see, and we'll talk more about Samsung in a bit. Also, as we teased a couple weeks ago, a dual 4K cinema laser projector is coming from LG as well. Their new Sinbeam HU810P, a 2700 lumen projector for $3,000 using a dual blue and red laser system. This is likely incorporating a piece of phosphor material to get that yellow. A phosphor wheel. <laughs> a phosphor <laughs> wheel to get the yellows and greens. 
This will feature uh, your standard 20,000 hours of lamp life, quote unquote. It is HDR compatible, but of course not Dolby Vision. 97% of DCI P3 color space. This projector also has a built-in ambient light sensor, so it will actually adapt the picture based on that room lighting, if that's something you so choose. And as with many of LG's projectors, the HU810P will feature built-in Wi-Fi, HDMI 2.1, eARC, and it even has a little bit of horizontal and vertical lens shift with a 1.6x zoom. Oh, nice. Yeah. Like other projectors, we're talking about 20,000 hours of lamp life, or in this case, laser life. And that's a huge deal. If you're looking at a traditional projector with a bulb that has a you know, 4,000, 5,000 hours of life before it hits that radical drop in lumen output, I think somebody said it was four hours a day for 14 years which is probably more than enough television for most of us. Excellent. <laughs> That's a neat thing, too. I appreciate the fact that this is at least a dual laser system. It's not true RGB laser, like we'll talk about mm -hmm. in a little bit here, coming from a couple folks later this year. But that $3,000 price point is pretty good right. for this particular kind of laser-based projection technology, especially at 4K and with HDR compatibility. One of the other huge trends we saw at CES for 2021 is the use of mini LED backlighting systems for all of the new premium televisions being introduced this year. LG is also jumping on this bandwagon in the sense of they have something called the QNED, QNED, their LCD television lineup. This will feature some of their most premium tech, including an 8K TV screen, tens of thousands of these mini LEDs on the back of the panel, in addition to quantum dot color. It should be a pretty fantastic display. I'll be curious to see how it competes, if at all, to the Samsungs and the Sonys out there, considering what they have coming up later this year. Now, everyone wants to know what's going on with the OLED lineup. It is looking good for 2021. We're talking four series that will be part of the 2021 lineup, including the A1, the C1, the G1, and the Z1. Screen sizes are listed from being anywhere from 42 inches up to 88 inches across all of those lines. One nice thing is, is that 42 inch panel. I haven't seen a specific model number yet or model name for this particular one, but if LG display is producing a 42 inch panel, I would assume at 4K, I would assume that it will be available from a variety of system and TV manufacturers down the road, including LG, of course. Of the new panels out there right now, the G series, the gallery series, is really the only one featuring new technology in terms of the OLED material itself. LG is claiming that the use of a new luminous element or an extra dose of green in that element is extending the color palette and increasing brightness on this panel. And it would not surprise me to see the G1 in particular equipped with some type of advanced cooling similar to what Sony's doing on their latest panels. And that's something that Panasonic introduced with some of their pro panels as well. Now, in terms of 8K OLED, it's basically a carryover from last year's Z model to this year's Z model. And that's the only one that's available in that 88 inch format. One thing that caught my eye, and I think you pointed this out to me, is that LG has also stated that Google Stadia and NVIDIA's GeForce Now are coming to its latest TVs in the second half of 2021. That I think is cool. In addition to that, if you're looking for just pure performance in terms of what will likely be the brightest LG OLED for this year, you can right. pretty much stare at that G1 panel. If I were to guess at how much brighter it's going to be, I would say about 30%, maybe even a third brighter. It should, in peak brightness, hit well over a 1,000 nits. But we'll wait to see. <laughs> we would like to see. Brighter televisions mean 
more contrast mean better experience for your eyeballs. Samsung out in force, including a new logo, but not for televisions. No. This is the Samsung branded logo for when an OLED display is integrated into a laptop and the OLED is actually made by Samsung. Kind of fun news in the sense that a lot of people are familiar with Samsung building smartphone OLED screens for a variety of manufacturers, arguably some of the very best in the world. Yes, they do actually make full on larger than <laughs> smartphone screens for certain notebook manufacturers. And now there is a new branded logo, OLED provided by Samsung. If you are shopping for a premium notebook design, that is something I really want to put some eyes on and especially to see how that panel is being built exactly. That's just a fun little piece of tech out there that you want to keep a lookout for. As far as their TVs go for this year, the Neo QLED LCD televisions will be their premium. They have four and 8K models. It is, of course, micro LED backlighting system. Gaming centric features too. They have a great pop-up menu. LG does something similar on their 2021 TVs as well providing basic information for things like variable refresh rate, is it an HDR or not, auto low latency and things like that that could be enabled or not. It just gives you a quick screen to check those settings without having to dive into deep within the menu system. I expect out of the Neo QLEDs to offer superb brightness, contrast control, still no Dolby Vision support. One of the other things that Samsung was talking about with, uh, or I should say feeding or processing before the pixels get to the QLED was some new AI enhancement for picture enhancement not to double up in my use of enhancements or triple up in that case but what's going on with it? they're actually doing more ai to attempt to clean everything up before it goes to the screen is this a good thing or is this going to be digital smirching from heck yeah for 2021 samsung is extending that ai pipeline a little bit deeper they used to really only use it in a single system of it just for improving picture quality. Now they have 16 parallel neural networks, not only for video processing, but also audio processing as well. This includes adding functionality like object sound tracking, automatic room calibration, in addition to things like AI upscaling for the video. There is a lot of PR jargon in all of these types of announcements, but many manufacturers are working on similar tech. It will hopefully make whatever pixels you throw at these screens, be it a 4K or an 8K screen with content up to that quality will make it look as good as possible. And we were just talking about laser projection. Samsung introduced the Premiere with triple laser technology. It's an ultra short throw design. They introduced this back in October of 2020, but they now are saying it will be released quite soon, <laughs> hopefully here. Now, the nice thing about a triple laser system, having red, blue, and green as your primaries is the fact that this thing will cover an incredible portion of the BT 2020 color space used in HDR video. They're claiming 106% exceeding BT 2020, which is impressive on paper. 2,800 ANSI lumens, up to 130 inch screen support, HDR 10 plus support in addition to HDR. And I will be most curious to see what the price point of that will be. I'm guessing it's going to be a hefty five figures or pushing 20 grand, if I were to guess. Also, they introduced an updated version of their The Frame TV, which is now a thinner design. Otherwise, fairly similar tech available in 32 to 75 inch screen sizes. A Samsung art store for five bucks a month if you want to keep it filled with beautiful imagery. <laughs> However, unlike the Neo QLED TVs, which will be their premium, the frame is using a quantum dot enhanced LCD screen with a dual backlight technology, a dual LED backlight technology that does not feature local dimming. Uh, again, I just wouldn't expect the frame to be competing with the Neo QLED in terms of 
absolute picture performance, but it is a cool design with a nice bezel system where you can swap them out for different textures and styles and really make it look like a piece of art hanging on the wall. This is not their flagship television. You're not going to get Neo QLED performance out of this, right? This is a television that Samsung has provided to fill a niche. The niche being people who don't want a freaking television or a big black screen sitting in the room creating a giant black hole where they want something more interesting. Uh, it's about the art store. It's an aesthetic thing for not watching television as much as it is as a television. It's not a bad looking television. We've both seen it. You're not going to mistake it for a flagship OLED or even a flagship QLED. But for the way most people are watching most things, it's this is a nice television option, especially if your husband or wife does not want a giant space that is black and irritating them every time they walk by it in the living room or wherever else you want to stuff a television. I appreciate the art mode built into my LG OLED, and I find yeah. it's a nice way just to show off the TV for people who might not otherwise be interested in a display for traditional display uses. I only hope that they at least offer that art store functionality on their Neo QLED TVs as well, as it would be just interesting to see how that art mm -hmm. could look even better on an even higher performing set. One other fun thing that Samsung introduced at the show was their JetBot 90 AI Plus. This is a robot coming for your dirt. <laughs> Yeah, I would say that it, it looked like as soon as they showed it, it, it has the face of something like RoboCop, but a slight R2-D2 <laughs> vibe to it. The cool thing is it's equipped with LiDAR and 3D sensors, and it's powered by Intel's AI technology, which I don't know. It could be a good or a bad thing, but <laughs> there were a lot of similar products <laughs> out there on the floor or in the virtual floor space of CES 2021. Skynet will come from your vacuum cleaner, oh, not from a... It's looking at everything. For Sony, on the other hand, they were quick to highlight their crystal LED modules. Now, this is in no way an affordable means of providing a 100-plus-inch screen, but these modules, available in what they call a B and a C series with slightly different pixel pitches, these are actual LEDs as subpixels that you can tile together and create whatever shape and size display you would like. Now, a key point they made was that these are their most DIY friendly, although I don't know how many DIYers are actually gonna be doing this themselves, but in terms of being able to install and adjust these and get them all in a perfect plane and nicely tight and tiled together, this should be excellent. Samsung, of course, has their own technology related to this as well that they were showing off in addition to their rather expensive TV designs that incorporate these panels in a pre-sized fashion that's all kind of like plug and play, not individual modules, but they use those individual modules within a set themselves. Now, getting on to something a little more in the realm of affordability and reasonableness, the all-new Bravia XR TVs. Again, all of these are going to feature HDMI 2.1, 4K120, variable refresh rate, all of the buzzwords, including ATSC 3.0 tuners built into them as well. On the Master Series, their flagship LCD television for 2021 is the Z9J. That's their 8K flagship, their bestest, brightest, full-array local dimming TV ever, powered by Google TV. 75 and 85 inch screen sizes prices are unavailable but it is currently listed on the sony electronics store if you want to check out the stats and details on that as far as their best 4k tv goes it'll be the x95j not quite as punchy and bright as the z9j but still it's going to look fantastic available 65 75 and 85 inch screen sizes 
I also happen to really like how the back of this TV looks. It has an interesting pattern on the back of the chassis so that if for some reason you happen to be back there or it's something that is actually visible to other people in the room, <laughs> it doesn't look like just a flat slab black piece of plastic. It actually has a good look to it, but you know, it's the back of the TV. So really, who cares? Sony's first OLED did a couple things. One, it was their first OLED. Two, it had the you know the sound panel, the actuators behind the panel that that brought the sound to the center of the panel, which was cool. The easel stand was awesome. And when they did that, they made it an aesthetic option to have the TV out from the wall, and you could walk behind it, and it wouldn't look ugly. I mean, you might trip over the cable, That's which true. is something we. We were talking about uh, on uh, earlier this week with the DTNS folks when we looked at that new tripod for the LG TVs, where we're like, where are they going to run the cables? You know, you know, that, <laughs> but I say Sony probably does that better than anyone in terms of the 360, yeah. your visual perspective of it. It looks good from just yeah. about any angle, really. Of course, the pixels are what counts. And talking about OLED, their flagship OLED for 2021 <laughs> is going to be the A90J. This will probably be one of the very nicest 4K TV Sony has ever produced. This is, of course, part of their Master Series OLED lineup. The full name, I just have to say this once, the A90J Brava XR Master Series OLED 4K Ultra HD High Dynamic Range Smart TV. <laughs> There's a mouthful. This panel, in addition to what we talked about with Panasonic and LG's premium models, is featuring a brighter OLED panel. And according to David Katzmeyer over at CNET, they are using an aluminum sheet to help with heat radiation. No details on the peak brightness of this particular set, but like I said, I'm expecting a good 30% bump over what was happening in the standard OLEDs of last year. That's a big bump. It is. I just want to say that again. That is significant. Going from something like 750 up yeah. to 1,000, nice little noticeable kick up especially if it can be done more robustly and hopefully with less chance of burn-in. There is also an A80J available at 77, 65, and 55-inch models. That's just a step back, but still excellent as usual from the folks at Sony. These TVs also feature their Acoustic Surface Audio Plus technology using powerful actuators behind the TV to vibrate that screen to make sounds seem to come from everywhere. <laughs> Again, this is uh, kind of going back to, I can't wait to actually hear some of these TVs to see if any of this technology, be it AI-based or not, is going to make a difference mm -hmm. in terms of people making the built-in audio an actual option that's desirable. I still, I have my doubts, but I'm hanging in there and keeping an ear to the ground, so to it's, speak, on that There's nothing one. wrong with raising the bar on audio performance on televisions. No I doubt. I just don't think either one of us anticipates it beating a sound bar, much less a full surround sound system in the near future. <laughs> TCL was out with the OD0 mini LED TV, which brings us back to the theme of mini LED backlighting. Their flagship, the new flagship 8 series, bringing 8K to the masses, baby. This is going to be probably their best TV ever in terms of having a quantum dot enhanced micro LED system or mini LED system, technically tens of thousands of LEDs, especially on the larger screen sizes. The eight series uses a, a new mini LED design that brings it very close to the screen surfaces to minimize losses and other artifacting. There's also a new seven series, which will bring a little bit more value to that performance. Also using mini LED technology. TCL is also saying that they are going to bring 8k all the way down to the six series. The 6 Series is typically the best balance between value and performance. And if 8K is just going to make it right to the 6 Series, 
I just am looking forward to seeing how that looks in person and what the price points will be, because this could be a good challenge. Having full array local dimming plus 8K at a very attractive price point, it could make the 6 Series continue to be just as popular as it already is. Also, if you're looking for larger and larger screen sizes, which was another general theme of the show, 80 plus inches is really the new normal <laughs> for LCD offerings. TCL is claiming that this XL series, which they are calling their 85 inch screens, will be available in the 4 series, and a model is likely to pop up within the 6 series as well. If you're looking for affordable big screen TVs with decent performance, TCL and others are going to be bringing it for 2021. And then finally, I just want to mention the good folks at Hisense. They also introduced a RGB laser display. They call it the laser TV, but it is a short throw laser projector paired with an ambient light rejecting screen. They call it their trichroma laser TV. The 100L9 Pro was actually introduced last year, but it looks like it's finally making it into stores. They are also claiming well in excess of a 100% BT2020 color coverage. They're claiming 107, slightly higher than what Samsung claimed. DLP-based, and they're actually providing a number that says it produces a picture of 430 nits, which is a lot for a projector. They have a step-down version that does about 350 nits, if you're trying to do HDR, that is at least a nice light level from a projector to be able to even attempt that properly, let alone having a wide color palette, BT2020 coverage, effectively perfect. That should enable some beautiful, beautiful imagery. I can't wait to see it personally. And of course, they're also going to have their 8K TVs as well. They have a 65, a 75, and an 85-inch model coming. Quantum dot color, Dolby Vision, Dolby Atmos, IMAX Enhanced, VRR, ALLM, Google Assistant, and Amazon's Assistant as well. For this year, they're also focusing on just getting their operating system, which they call VIDA, V-I-D-D-A, VIDA, VIDA? <laughs> anyway. VIDA sounds good. VIDA's. VIDA is getting an upgrade so it performs even more fluid and zippy with their latest TVs as well. You know, if it doesn't, just do what we tell you to do. Get a Roku box, get an Apple TV box, get a streaming stick, whatever makes you happy. You know, just don't expect the operating system of your television to be that great, at least not after the first couple of years. I couldn't agree with that anymore. I could care less about 8K. Tell me why I'm wrong. Well, I can't. <laughs> I, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. I am... In my humble opinion, I believe 8K, particularly with LCD televisions, where you are seeing this deployed for the first time sure. in, in any kind of quantity, is the fact that it's relatively easy to do compared to, say, producing an 8K OLED screen or any other technology out there. For the LCD folks, it's not difficult to simply bump the resolution from 4K to 8K. Sure. When you start talking about the largest screen sizes, especially when we're getting over 80 inches... I think having that extra resolution would make for a more seamless looking picture. I don't see it as a problem. I think it's just a checkbox thing. I'm wondering how small an 8K screen will get. I'm willing to bet it'll be rare to see them under 65 inches, but I could be proven wrong. It may be creeping down a little bit lower, but again, I think 8K is truly for the largest screen sizes and gives the LCD folks something to kind of brag about. It's like, oh, we can do 8K, no problem. <laughs> And they right. can. I mean, do there's it, no, no 8K content in for all intents and purposes. Not much. <laughs> the broadcast system for ATSC 3.0, oh, 
will enable potential for 8K broadcasting. And there's been some test stuff, of course, between the uh, various sporting leagues and some content you can actually try online. But in terms of having native 8K content, I don't think that's really the point. It's more of just saying, even at the very largest screen sizes, we can keep the pixel density nice and tight. So if you do happen to be closer to the screen, it still looks just seamless. And of course, driving that many pixels also requires good video processing, which is why all of the companies are touting their new AI chips or updated operating systems and things like that to make that content look all the better. But yeah, uh, AK is giving them a premium for really not much on their end in terms of just scaling that technology, LCD technology up another notch. Right. We may see something like a 16K TV in the next couple of years, but I really think by that point, there will be other display technologies that are more desirable, even for the option of saying, oh, we have this resolution, let alone a way to even input 8K effectively at this point. Right. I mean, to put this into perspective, when you're looking at 8K versus 4K, on one hand, before I, I get snarky, let's point out anything that improves processing or makes processing better for 8K is going to trickle down and make 4K and 1080p processing better, which is a great thing. You know, 1080p screens are, are slowly disappearing, but there's nothing wrong with that, right? But when you're looking at a chart where they're talking about optimal viewing distances for 1080p versus 4K versus 8K, when you're talking about a 55-inch television, the optimal viewing distance for 1080p is 7 feet. 4K means you can sit, you know, 3 and 3 quarter feet, you know, at 1.1 meter or something away from the television. And if you get the television up to 8K for 55 inches, the optimal 8K distance is 1.7 feet, which is great if you're talking about an 8K monitor. And I've used an 8K desktop monitor from Dell, and it was spectacular, not because I needed 8K or because I had literally the equivalent of umpteen thousand 1080p desktops in this one screen, to exaggerate and use non-technical terms, but because the pixels were fundamentally invisible. When you get up to a 75-inch screen size, the optimal 8K viewing distance goes all the way up to two and a half feet, which means when you get farther away from it, you can't really resolve the detail, which is great. Uh, but, you know, this is like when we used to talk about somebody who's like, you know, I need to buy six TVs from a sports bar and I'm trying to decide if I should go with the latest 1080p or get a discount on 720. It's like, it's a sports bar. Everybody's drunk and they're 25 feet from the television. They can't tell the difference between 720p and 1080p. <laughs> now... Keep in mind, too, that they are referring to the content, not necessarily the screen resolution. Okay. Yeah, it's it's a tough call. Messy. <laughs> I personally believe that having the content matched to the display resolution, at least, is the right. ideal scenario. And it's very unlikely you're going to be feeding an 8K TV, 8K content. But when you are feeding it 4K content, it should look fantastic. And that seamless look, especially when you're up close, is something I would appreciate. I don't know. I... I I'll admit I'm more excited about LG delivering or LG display delivering 42-inch OLED panels. Like that to me is going to impact. I see a lot of people buying those to upgrade in living rooms and, and you know, dens or smaller rooms for displays. That could be something a lot of people are going to want to put on their desktop. Like imagine a 42-inch OLED, you know, LG OLED desktop, you know, for $1,000 or less. I mean, that's that's... That's tempting. <laughs> I, I get so nervous leaving desktop icons on an OLED screen that don't move. Uh, <laughs> okay. I'm a little... You just I'm ruined still, it for me. I'm still a little you nervous about that. You just ruined it for me. 
that 42 inch screen may even come to the new a series from lg that i didn't really mention when we just talked about them but that will be their most affordable oled series that's where they're really trying to bring the price of oled to a new low for folks to dip their toe in so to speak and get really good picture performance at the best price yet it will feature you know slightly fewer ports maybe not the latest and greatest chipset as far as av processing goes but still something that is highly comparable to what the 2020 tvs were doing when it comes to that 31 and a half inch pro monitor of theirs i'm really curious to see that because if that is japan oled's tech mm-hmm. what sort of materials they are using to build that panel and what they expect longevity to be uh, all the more curious there's so many cool things coming out this year and the fact that we now have a couple of rgb laser projection options for something approaching consumer pricing at this point let alone dual laser projectors for under three thousand (laughs) dollars barely that's incredibly cheap for that technology Um, especially given the cost of a quality 4k projector you know we'll talk more about some of the more affordable projectors that came out next week but i think three thousand dollars is starting to get pretty affordable for that given that a couple of years ago, we were looking at ten thousand to twenty thousand dollars for laser projectors, and now they're down to three. And I think by next year, they're probably going to be punching right alongside some of the more affordable sub two thousand dollar projectors. I, I may be projecting my desires at that point. It would be fantastic to see that because right now, in terms of high performance four K, you're kind of stuck at, at you know Epson's fifty fifty UB at around three thousand dollars. You take a big jump up to take a look at what's coming out from Sony and Panasonic price wise to get a significantly visible performance difference for for uh, HDR, and then the, at that point money starts becoming, you know, you, you start getting into the, the cost of a used car or a new car or a house or right. a really nice house, depending on, on how far up the projection company stream you go. But but the idea of having that kind of technology at that price point, that means it's going to keep dropping over the next couple of years, at least we hope. I'm also hoping just in terms of broadcast standards, ATSC 3.0 mm-hmm. is steadily expanding. I saw several announcements over the holiday break related to where it's being deployed throughout 2021. There are a handful of new cities that have already received service updates that didn't have Mm -hmm. it before. So if you haven't checked out the ATSC 3.0 map of deployment, give it a look. It (laughs) may surprise you that something has popped up recently and it's worth doing just for the fact that these new TVs are going to support it. And hopefully we'll be able to pick up external tuners affordably that will allow anyone to just simply add this functionality to their current HDTV or 4K TV and enjoy broadcast 4K quality for all of your favorite events for low to no cost other than, you know, an antenna (laughs) and living close enough to a broadcast tower. But still, that's just something I've always appreciated. I've always liked broadcast HD and now I'm looking forward to broadcast 4K. I think we both are. Coming up next week, we got some headphone announcements, some in-ear or ear speaker or earbud announcements. We've got a handful of soundbars, possibly as few as one new soundbar, and a couple of AVR announcements, and a few other things that we found in the corners of CES as we clicked through pages to open up pages to view videos and other things that look just like going to a website, but with more clicks between you and the content you wanted to see. It's the virtual 
experience was not nearly as enjoyable as wandering through crowded hallways being elbowed by cranky people. Um, The food was better at home, though. (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) Yes, it was. But I do truly miss being able to walk through some of the other halls at CES that aren't TV related and finding those small vendors and being able to interact like that. And hopefully, hopefully that will return sooner than later. That would be nice. With that, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. We'll catch you next week on AVXL.